Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover one of the most underrated Royal Rumbles. It's Royal Rumble 2002. Kyush, we always talk about the most revered Royal Rumble matches being 1992, 2001, and 2004. Why do you think this one never gets mentioned? I mean... I think that we, you and I go back and forth. I think you think that 1992 was the best. I think 2001 is the best. You're really splitting hairs at that point. They're both incredible. But the thing that you never talk about is what 1993 was, which it sucked, so don't worry about that anyway, but also 2002. And that's really just because they get completely overshadowed in history by the perfect Royal Rumbles. And we forget that 2002 was a time that was so incredibly interesting and cool, and this Royal Rumble kicks fucking ass. It's just not 2001. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this whole year is just... This year 2002, I think, is great, and I think a little forgotten and underrated just because it comes out... It's the aftermath of the Attitude Era. You know, business is declining for reasons, you know, kind of beyond what's being presented on TV, because the... Product on TV this year, the pay-per-views, I think across the board are pretty great. Oh, absolutely. We do have to mention that, like, we've covered uh, the invasion and all of that stuff before, and we'll probably do, like, a, a more long-form season of it later down the road. But, like, the majority of the entire wrestling fandom just stops watching wrestling. Like, pretty much during that, between then and, like, SummerSlam 02, like half the audience completely tunes out and never comes back. And there's nothing you can do about that. So in all the chaos and tumultuousness of that is this show. Yeah. Thankfully, the invasion is over. Uh, We're on the road to WrestleMania 18. They blew off the invasion at Survivor Series in November. I don't know how long the invasion was supposed to last, but I I have to imagine they thought they were going to get it to WrestleMania, right? Oh, you have to think that they would. I mean, I wonder when they knew they were going to get the NWO, because I have to assume that that was going to be part of it, right? By this point, by like the point of this show, they're signed, sealed, and delivered, but I think they've known they were coming since December, November, Right. But like if you had that kind of on the horizon that you were like, oh, Nash Hall and Hogan's contracts come up later this year, we'll get the invasion cooking around SummerSlam. And or they probably already had like the invasion pay-per-view like named and ready to go and stuff. So they were like right around then is when we'll kick it off and then we'll go all the way to Mania and then we'll have the NWO versus our guys and the Mania will be the big blow off that that had to have been the plan. No, instead it flops so bad they have to kill. But, I mean, they kill it off at Survivor Series, and it's already overstayed its welcome by months at that point. By this point, which is only like a month and a half after the blow-off, so it feels forgotten. like it was ten years ago, yeah. Yeah. No, I I mean, I feel like the night after Survivor Series was one of the all-time, like, reset buttons in wrestling history. And we've talked about times this happened. Like, WCW did this a couple times. WCW went as far as to strip all the champions one time. Like, But we've seen reboots before, but it was like the night after Wrestle, night after Survivor Series. They're just like, okay, everything that happened the past couple months, forget about it. Like, we're going to reset the status quo. Steve Austin's back to being a face. Vince McMahon's back to being a heel. Kurt Angle's back to being a heel. Like... Forget the invasion. Forget the stuff that's happened since WrestleMania. 
We literally happy days like they, are here again. It's like they went down the entire roster and we're just like, all right, what should these people be? Yeah. All right, the Hardy Boys together in baby faces. Uh, the Undertaker heel. Uh, the Dudley Boys back together. Yeah, and faces. Yeah, Kurt heel. Yeah, <laughs> Jericho heel. Austin babyface. I want you to imagine if the invasion is at least somewhat successful. If it had just had enough momentum that they could have dragged it into the wintertime. Because two things happen in January of this year that if the invasion had still been going on would have electrified it. And that is the NWO and Triple H's return. Yeah. (laughs) Either of those things. At Vengeance in December, Chris Jericho shocked the world. And won both the WCW and WWF titles in the same night by beating The Rock and Steve Austin. I was watching at the time. I believe you were, too. Did you ever in a million years think Jericho was going to win that tournament? Dude, I was like the biggest little Chris Jericho fan. I had my Y2J shirt on. There is no reason to think that he even could realistically win that match. In fact, of him and Kurt Angle being like the up, like the big upsets, Kurt obviously would have been the better choice. Yeah, you would have thought if 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 either of them were going to win, you would have thought Kurt. Uh, Jericho was a very clear fourth place for me, and I just assumed it was going to be Rock and Austin, even though that would have been pretty dumb to do at Vengeance without a build. Right, but it just Jericho didn't have any momentum coming into this show. But he he manages to win it. Literally, I was watching this on at the time they had it on the website like a like a baby streaming, oh, yeah. like baby's first stream that you could pay like five dollars because they knew it would cut out on you. Yeah. And like literally by the time the first match started, the image had frozen, and I was literally just listening to Jim Ross call it like a radio show. I love that so much because that's a throwback to bef- before digital cable. If you put the pay-per-view channel on, it would just be static. You couldn't see the show, but you could listen to it. Yes. And I would do that. When that's I, literally what my experience was. I was this. a kid, and I didn't have any money to buy these pay-per-views. So I was literally just sitting in my room at night by myself in my Y2J shirt, holding my laptop to my ear and jumping up and down as Jericho won. So why did he win? I think it's just because he's a good person to put Triple H over at WrestleMania. They have... A ready-made feud with the fact that Jericho was in that match where Triple H got hurt and they've feuded in the past. So I think they're just like, let's put the belt on Jericho and he can put Triple H over at Mania. There was a sense with Jericho that like this was supposed to be his year. Um, He was white hot coming into the year. Him and Benoit versus the two-man power trip was like huge, hot, awesome. Um, Triple H getting hurt completely derailed all of that. And whatever it is that they were going to do with Benoit and Jericho during the summer, then Benoit gets hurt. Yeah. So Jericho just gets spun off into nothing. And I really felt like Vince had it in the back of his head like, look, during the invasion, they had an opportunity to go with Angle, make him a top star. And they did that for a while. And I think Vince really just had it in his head like, it's his turn. Let's see what we have in Jericho this time. So... This show is built around Triple H's return after he's missed the past seven months with a tur- with his torn quad. Of course, he tore his quad back in May in that tag match where him and Austin lost the tag belts to Jericho and Benoit, which is one of the best matches ever in Monday Night Raw. One of the best t- 
tag matches, I think, in WWE history. Just an amazing match. I think it's my favorite tag match of all time. I mean, that's fair. It's also just because I remember it so fondly, because literally that was like the apex of me as like a brand new fan. I had just come back in like July of the previous year. I'm the huge Jericho fan. Like, this is unbelievably epic, but also just it's a special match. Fans were hyper into it. It's a great match from start to finish. It's just awesome. So they did a great job building Triple H's return with the promo packages, showing his surgery and all the rehab he had to do in the recovery. Uh, the YouTube Beautiful Day it's package. Day. If you look back at those packages now, they're unspeakably lame. Yeah, it's but super time, cringe. But yeah, that, that was just what was going for them. Like they, that, Remember how much people loved the Creed packages with My Sacrifice? Dude, I get chills watching them to this day, and Creed is awful. But like, if Creed you put on disgusting. Yeah. me. <laughs> like, people still make modern versions of these packages to yes. this day and i love it this thing okay this is a, an aside but if you're a recent wrestling fan and you weren't around back in the day you may not know that at the burgeoning time where like videos were on the internet and this is even pre-youtube literally people making highlight packages yeah. of wrestling to like lincoln park and shit like that was how most of us found new wrestling the first time i ever saw the first time I ever saw AJ Styles, Paul London, Loki, all those guys was in like these little like weird clip packages set to faint by Linkin Park. Like it just that's how we got in. And that all started with these Creed packages. So Triple H returns at the January 7th episode of Raw. That's Madison Square Garden. He gets an insane pop. One of the biggest loudest longest pops i've ever heard there's just no other way to put it this is i think i said to you that like the loudest pop i've ever heard was awesome when austin's music hit when he helped mankind win the belt and raw the longest was the first night that hogan came back after wrestlemania this is the loudest and the longest combined it just it's goes for five minutes. Crazy. And it somehow gets even bigger when he kind of like he, his music gets a huge reaction. And then um, when he actually comes out on the stage, it gets even bigger. And he's he was a heel when he left. Well, yeah, here's the thing. He wasn't just a little bit of a heel. The like, biggest he was like, heel in wrestling. He had had a chance to turn babyface before the two-man power yeah. trip, and we wanted him to. But they then he turned heel, and then he and Austin spent like two months beating the shit out of the Hardy Boys and Lita with chairs. Despicable, vile heels, and just the the yeah. This guy before this, when he would come out, the crowd would just chant "asshole" at him in defi- like just deafeningly loudly. And it's not like he and he had basically only been a a baby face for like six months out of his entire run, the entire time he's been in WWE. Been a heel his entire career. So like, there's no reasonable way anyone could have expected anything like this. Yeah. Even with the video packages, which were getting pops after a while when they were airing them in the live arenas, because they're just such a well put together package. No star on this level had come back from an injury and gotten hyped like this before. 
and maybe this is just him like weaving a story, but I feel like I've heard him talk about this and him being like, yeah, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know if anybody would care. And like, maybe he was being ridiculous. Like, of course, people are going to like know who Triple H is. But at the same time, the entire wrestling world has changed since he's been gone. Like, this invasion shit has come and gone. Uh, half the audience has dropped out. We, he would have been reasonable to expect like people to be like, "Boo, you yeah. fucking suck." Yeah, people might be like, "Oh yeah, we hate Triple H." Like, think of all the terrible things he's done. The bold thing was them positioning him as a babyface right from the start. Like, that's yeah. a babyface segment when he comes back. They knew what they were gonna get. That's unexpected because I would have been worried about him being a heel too. Yeah, he comes out, he does a little promo, he announces he's entering the Royal Rumble, Kurt Angle comes out and attacks him, and they get into it, and, you know, great little return segment, and we're set for the Royal Rumble. We can't um, go away from the segment without re- referencing what he was wearing, um, the oh, denim man. on denim. <laughs> yes, so he comes out wearing, like, pretty light, like, almost acid-washed jeans, um, a t a really tight t-shirt, a leather, a leather jacket. jacket, and a jean vest on top of the leather jacket. It is what the most pro wrestling look I've ever seen on a human being. The kind of thing where I feel like Randy Savage saw a picture of it and was mad that he had yes. never done it like that. Randy Savage almost came out of retirement so he could wear this on TV. He just would have cut the vest into tassels and it would have been a whole thing. I think this is also where Kurt dropped the line where he's like, oh, great. You had a torn quad. I want a, bro- I want a gold medal with a broken neck. I tore my quad getting out of bed this morning, and I'm still here. <laughs> um, also worth mentioning, Triple H is now back in un- impossible shape. Let's just be clear about that. Um, he has maybe the best body any wrestler has ever had. Yeah. And I'm not sure, I'm sure it's some steroids, let's be clear about that. But really, it looks like he's just been working out like a fucking fiend for the last nine months. Yeah. It actually uh, makes his matches worse because he's so bulky, he yeah. can't do anything. No, he comes back and is absolutely terrible in the ring for months and months after this. He can only have a good match with Shawn Michaels. Because he's now just, like, he's a tank. Like, he's yeah. Brock Lesnar, basically. It's great when he's against Sean because he just beats the fuck out of Sean. But against anybody else, he's immobile, and the matches are terrible. And that's the thing. He doesn't know how to wrestle as a babyface. He's only oh. ever been a bump-and-feed-chicken-shit heel. Now he's supposed to be a giant tank babyface? So this is a what? pretty stacked rumble. We got Triple H, Dude. as we mentioned. We've got Steve Austin. We've got The Undertaker. We've got Kane. We've got Kurt Angle. We've got RVD. We've got Booker T. Big Show. This kicks ass. The people who are afterthoughts in this match, like Booker T gets like 30 seconds. RVD gets 30 seconds. When you compare that to some of the ones, like I've been listening to our old Rumble shows where we talk about like, oh oh boy, can't wait for Repo Man to get his 10 minutes in the ring. Yeah. Um. Then something cool they did for this Rumble, they had a bunch of returns here. Yes. Um, Goldust, The Godfather, Val Venus, and I think most interestingly, Mr. Perfect returning to the WWF after Kurt Hennig hasn't wrestled in the WWF since 1993, and he hasn't 
been seen in the WWF since 1996. Now, this didn't really occur to me at the time. And by the way, I was a big Mr. Perfect fan when I was a little kid. Yeah. And this is like the first guy to come back who like I was a fan of as a kid. And so that was very cool. That's a big me. deal. That was like when DDP showed up for you. And it's just yeah, like, yeah. this is the first guy who showed up that I was like, oh, wait, I know who that is. Yeah. And Mr. Perfect is just out of like truly another generation. Oh, yeah. It's just very funny to see it. Even his music is like lower fi than all everyone else's music because it was recorded 30 fucking years ago. Yeah, I don't think they made a new version of it. But it's funny because it didn't occur to me at the time that like this must just be because like he and Dustin's WCW contracts probably just expired like everyone else's, right? Yep. And, so like yeah. they're looking for work. Here they are. Yeah. Perfect had been working with the, I think the XWF, if you remember that. Oh, the extreme. That was a uh, Rob Black, the porn star guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think they had to work. I think they had to like pay them off to get him out of his contract, but I'm sure it wasn't very much. Yeah, I can't imagine he had more than like a handshake deal with that guy. Um, our WWF title match is Chris Jericho against The Rock. Um. Both in storyline and reality, Jericho is being treated as a weak champion who won the title on a fluke. But looking back at the results, they gave him a bunch of big wins on the way in here. He's beaten Austin, RVD, Angle, and Big Show in the couple weeks between Vengeance and the Rumble here. This is a fascinating thing about perception when it comes to Jericho at this time. Because... The tippy top where we as fans, like Mark fans, want him to get is like Rock Austin. He can't get there. Nobody ever in the history of wrestling has been there. But it just doesn't feel like he can make it beyond a certain point. But where he is now is still good. Like, there's nothing wrong with this spot. For him to finally actually be a champion is such a big deal for him. And yet we treated every time that he ever didn't definitively pin the rock with the lion salt clean as like a microaggression. I, was some of this people like if you were a WWF fan, you just weren't used to a heel champion. There definitely is a part of that because who you'd, ha- you'd had Triple H and that's about it. I mean, we had just had that big run of Steve Austin, Austin, Austin as a heel was champion. A heel- yeah, I know. For whatever reason, people were just deeply insecure about Jericho and the fact that he had to cheat to win. Like, and so people had to treat it like he was being devalued so much because of that. And it's like he's yeah, heels cheat in American wrestling. It's just right. how it works. It, which is funny because I think WWE was trying to put him over as being like the only heel champion they've had in years that actually cheats to win. So like to get like pour a bunch of heat on him. And really the genesis of this feud in particular was because Jericho and The Rock had some of the greatest house show matches of all time, by all accounts. Like, literally would, like, tear the house down for 45 minutes every night in every town in America. And so they were like, we got to get this on TV. We got to get this on TV. This is incredible. And they do tear the house down. Yeah. And Jericho cheating is good. Like, these matches are great. Oh, yeah. I don't no, see... I I think this match was awesome. But yeah, at the time, all everybody could complain about is, oh, Jericho had to cheat so much. So many guys had to interfere and he had to do this and this. It's, I think it makes him look like a genius. Yes. But. There's just so much staggering insecurity. 
I think if he had just gotten to hold the belt for the little bit longer and didn't lose to the inevitability that was Triple H, this reign would feel like a perfectly wonderful reign in his history, you know? We'd also think about it better if it hadn't taken him like six years to get the belt again. Sure. But that's neither here nor there. There's nothing wrong with this reign right up until the whole Stephanie and the dog thing, which is a whole different situation. Yeah. The way he was booked on the way into WrestleMania was actually really bad. Right. But here, when he cuts that promo yes. where The Rock's just like, I'm going to whoop your ass and go right to WrestleMania. He's like, no, you won't look past me. I'm a real champion. That's a great promo. That is. I've never forgotten that. Because The Rock the most- was taking him lightly. The Rock was already penciling himself into the WrestleMania main event. And that's, of course, The Rock would do that because Jericho's Jericho. He's never won the big one. He beat The Rock once. That's all that's on his resume. But not after this show. <laughs> uh, Rock earn, uh, earned his title shot by beating Booker T on an episode of SmackDown. Sure. Our other big match is Ric Flair versus Vince McMahon in a street fight. Um Flair returned to the WWF the night after Survivor Series, revealing that when Stephanie and Shane sold their shares of the WWF to that consortium, the consortium was me. I want you to know that, like, I used to watch Raw, like, in the dark and, like, my, like, den or whatever. At this time, I was, like, what, like, 15 years old? I literally, like, paused, like, the tape of recording the Raw that I had. Turned on the lights, pulled out a dictionary, and looked up what the fuck consortium meant. <laughs> it's also not how you say that, but no. uh, Rick, Rick couldn't get his tongue around that one. Jesus. So he is the co-owner of the WWF along with Vince, and they're going to fight here. Of course, when Flair signed with the company, they promised him they wouldn't make him wrestle. And here he is a it month into a his run, <laughs> and they're making him wrestle. Which is so funny because, like, of course they're going to have him wrestle. Like, what is, what are we doing here? Like, oh, yeah, Rick, we're not going to have you wrestle. We'll never have you do that. Like, I mean, on the other hand, he is, I don't know, 50 years old at this point. It wouldn't be that crazy if he just retired. You know what's funny, though, is that, like, I had forgotten. I remember thinking as a kid that he was, like, this washed up has been when he comes in. He's got so much energy and, like, He's more, like, alive in these promos and stuff than he's been in WCW in, like, the last four years. Like, he actually is enjoying this. Yeah, WCW had become such a toxic place for him that I think it was just a relief to be out of there. Yeah, you can tell that he's happy that he's here and doing this stuff, even if it's not what he originally agreed to. The other, the really fun thing that happened on the way in here was the Austin Booker T supermarket brawl. You mean the greatest segment in the history oh of television? God. Not wrestling, television. The other, the other one I love, and I can't remember what happened before this or after this, is when Booker's hiding out in the church. Yes, and then the nuns are like, hey, can you give us a ride? And like Austin's there, but he won't beat him up in front of the nuns. And Booker's yeah. like, hell yeah, I'll give you a ride. Come on. <laughs> Booker goes and hides in the confessional, and then like a hot woman comes in. She's like, oh, I've sinned. I've lusted. <laughs> He's like, oh, tell me more. This is literally like some of the best. 
Like, they should have yeah. pushed Booker to the moon at that point. Because, like, Booker has a run in 2002 of maybe the best comedy in the history of wrestling. He gets wildly over without doing anything of any significance the entire year. Like, no. that team with gold dust gets insanely over because they're just so funny together. They literally, like, just put a camera on him and, like, just say, like, here's a lightsaber. I don't know. Do something for five minutes. And he's just like, okay. And it's the best fucking segment you've ever seen. Everything is gold. Booker T and gold dust at the movies. When Booker when Booker gets into bed with the woman and turns the lights out and then he turns them back on and it's gold dust. I have ingrained in my memory just like the 30 seconds of Booker T walking into a 7-Eleven. And literally he just walks in and he's just like, oh, yeah, I like that Slurpee. Oh, my God. Yeah, I need a hot dog. Oh, look at this magazine. And it's just like I just want to watch Booker T walk around and do things. And then Goldust is there and he's like, if you give me a drink of your Slurpee, I'll give you a bite of my wiener. It's just that's good comedy, man. So anyway. The supermarket brawl. Booker is hiding from Austin after he cost Austin the title at Vengeance. Um, like, Booker's hiding out in a supermarket, and he hears, like, over the PA system, Austin is like, hey, we need, we got a can of whoop-ass, we're coming to aisle, whatever Booker's in. And it's so and funny, then, because Booker has literally walked into the supermarket and has just busted open a bag of cookies and he's yeah. just eating it. <laughs> The amount of damage they did to this store is amazing. Um, they basically bought all the merchandise in this store yeah. in order to do this segment. It must have been like $100,000. This feels like, I'm sure they like walked through the store just to look at the stuff and figure out, but it just feels like they just put the camera on them and were like, guys, just do what you want. Do what you're going to do. This is like a 30-minute segment, and I don't feel like <laughs> a single second of it is wasted. It's just like everything from like, Steve Austin picks up a salami and just starts singing, when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, and he smacks him in the face with it. <laughs> this is like this formative is a, It's stuff, a very guys. different Steve Austin. Yes. He's like the forerunner to his podcast persona. This is getting to see the goofier side of him. I wish we had gotten more of that Austin, because we got it when he was a heel, because yeah. they thought that that was heel Steve Austin, but actually... That's the lovable Steve Austin. He's the most beloved Steve Austin ever was. I don't want to see grim, dark Batman vengeance Steve Austin anymore. I want to see funny dad Steve Austin. Yeah, I mean, he just puts Booker in a cart and runs him all the way around the store, grabbing stuff, you know, dumps flour on him, crack him, you know, beats him with eggs, everything. But eventually Booker turns the tide, hits him with a super kick and like locks him in one of those big freezers. But then Austin just get like it's one of those freezers where like, you know, it's he just where you can get it. the milk. He just yeah, he just like opens the door and walks back out. He opens the door, takes a big swig of milk and then keeps beating his ass. <laughs> Beats his ass for another 5 minutes. It's a faultless segment. It's and they Perfect. never even for one second try to replicate this ever again. And I don't understand. No. Just a brilliant, brilliant segment. And it, it had no real purpose. There's no heat on this Austin Booker thing. It doesn't they, really go anywhere. They had a first blood match on SmackDown and Booker won because the big boss man interfered. By the first way, time the we've seen the boss man in a long time. Yeah, somebody mentions that on the way into this, somebody beat Boss Man in a match to get into the Rumble, and I'm like, Boss Man's still here? What? 
He was real, real done by this point. I'm sure he was. When he came out for the when he came out in the rumble, I was uh, he was not not looking like himself anymore. Nope. All right. So to get into the show, it's Sunday, January twentieth, two thousand two. Um, we are at the Phillips Arena in Atlanta, Georgia, right in the heart of WCW country. Shame the invasion has been blown off already. Yeah, it's funny how that works, huh? <laughs> um, in attendance, um, the announced attendance, 16,106. The Observer would say 12,915 paid for an $859,000 gate. That's a gate number. That's like... More than double, I think, what they did in the Alamo Dome in 1997 when they had, you know, 60,000 people. Just imagine what they were charging for tickets. And this is still only O2. Like, this isn't, like, today's prices. The average ticket's, like, over 60 bucks here. So, like, people in the front row are paying a lot. Like, it used to be, like, a thousand to sit front row at, like, Raw. Like, that's, that's what it was like at the time. Uh, they also sold $142,000 worth of merchandise. Ooh. Yeah, my goodness. Again, uh, almost $10 a head. That's great. Whenever you can do like $10 per head and you can be like, yeah, every man, woman, and child in attendance has a T-shirt on. That's yeah. crazy. Uh, they did 670,000 buys here. That's actually up from 2001, which only did 625. That's really That's incredible. Yeah, I attribute, I don't know, attribute that to the, the momentum of Triple H's return, maybe Rock challenging for the title being a big, the previous year the title match was like Triple H versus Angle and it was heel versus heel and it was really weird. Yeah, actually, we always forget, but that 2001 Royal Rumble actually did not have a lot of momentum coming off of it, like Austin did. But aside from that, like, there weren't a lot of dudes who were, like, super over, whereas coming into this one, there's, like, a lot of people with, like, hot storylines and stuff. Yeah. So, like, this is actually objectively a hotter show coming into it than that one was. No dark match, nothing on heat. That's weird. A unusual, yeah. can't think of how many times I've ever seen no dark match for a show. No, I feel like there's always a dark match. Uh, the opening package runs through past Rumble winners with grainy black and white photos of them. And then they've got little snippets of promos from the current guys along with photos of them. I liked this because it was it felt like history here. Yeah, this is literally these year where like they decide to like yeah. have a history again. Especially because m- most of those guys aren't working in WCW, which I'm sure helps. Yeah, that's been the problem for the previous like ten years. Was they're not they don't want to talk about Hogan, Savage, Piper. Those guys are all in WCW. They don't have to worry about that anymore. But people who worked for WWE at the time literally talk about Vince watching that one Kid Rock video about yeah. the history of WWE, that like Lonely Road of Fate video. And, like, seeing Vince cry because, yeah. like, it felt like he had been handed back his history. I don't think he'd ever thought about it up until then. Yeah. I feel like he thought he'd, like, set a match to wrestling history with, during the whole Attitude Era and was just trying not to think about it. And you can see a deliberate attempt to recapture that history in 02. And then we've got our opening match. 
For the world tag titles, we have the bizarre team of Taz and Spike Dudley defending against the Dudley boys. I love a team that's just like, hey, who are the two shortest people who yeah. work here? Wouldn't it be funny if they won the belts? How else can we humiliate Taz? God, the, the really sad thing is, is that putting him with Spike does humiliate him because they're the same height. Yeah. Spike might be taller. And also Spike is way more over than he is. Way. Spike Spike should have a belt because Spike's incredibly Spike over. Spike was that? He was awesome. I don't run. think people he had really a great remember. run. I mean, he was great in ECW too. He had a great run here though during the invasion. He got so over standing up to Bubba and Diva. And he even got a he got a little run with Steve Austin because Austin was being mean to his girlfriend. Literally that segment on Raw where Austin just like yelling at Molly and Spike gets in his face and is like, "I'll fuck you up right now. Let's go to the ring." Yeah. There's just something about that character who will always die, but like you got his back. <laughs> little five foot seven dude who won't back down from a fight and no one in the history of wrestling has taken bumps like he took oh bumps God. like we can talk about mick foley all day if you want but like spike dudley took beatings like no human being ever has the dudleys are accompanied by stacy keebler spike has a neck brace on i assume he took a nasty 3d on the way in here probably i just i always remember him as just having a neck brace on uh, Spike gets worked over for a couple minutes, but he makes a comeback and hits the Dudley dog. Uh, Bubba and Devon cut him off when he tries to make the tag, but about a minute later, he manages to tag out. Taz comes in, throws some suplexes. Um, I heard Lance Storm talk about working with Taz and the fact that Taz told him not to jump on his suplexes. He was like, just trust me, I'll get you over is how strong Taz was. That's really crazy because you never really think of him as being that strong, but like he had to have been because he's imagine you're way smaller than the people you're suplexing and like you got to make sure their heads clear the ground. So you got to know that like you're actually going to get them up to a certain point because like if like the big show does a suplex, he's barely got to get you over because you're already like eight feet in the air. Taz has got to torque you to get you over, man. I think he also really knew how to use leverage. Yeah, he knew judo, which is like yeah. the thing. <laughs> uh, Spike hits another Dudley dog. Stacy gets up on the apron to try to distract Taz. Taz does not fall prey to her feminine wiles and instead puts her in the Taz mission. Jesus. I mean, this is quite an era for just casually yes. beating the shit out of women. Stacy in particular, this was every match. She would try to seduce the baby face and they would beat her up instead. Talk about people who did not agree to do things when they signed up. I My guarantee God. you her contract signing did not include a, so what we're going to do is beat the shit out of you every week that you work here and then put you in bikinis the rest of the time. Yeah. She's a trooper. She stuck around for a while. Oh, for years. At least until Orton could RKO her. Like, way longer than she had any reason to. She actually wound up becoming, like, a decent celebrity, like, dating George Clooney yeah. and shit. Like, she's, like, involved with a bunch of charities and stuff now. Seems like a genuinely incredible person. Good for her. Has she ever come back for any... I'm trying to think, have we ever seen no. her again? Yeah, no, she's we... never done any reunion stuff. Yeah, I don't think... I don't think she... I feel like in hindsight, she probably feels like she was taken advantage of, and she was. Oh, absolutely she was. 
Like they it's really amazing. pressured her to do Playboy, and she didn't want to. Let's see, how much money do you think they offered her oh just God. to finally? Probably more than that. Probably more than anyone. Because I honestly think her issue could have done better than Tori's. Yeah. And like, that meant a lot of money for WWE. But bless her for holding her ground. Um, Spike goes for the Dudley dog, but he gets thrown out to the floor. And then Taz locks the Taz mission on Devon and taps him out in five minutes. I mean, really short for a tag title match, but nothing wrong with it. I enjoyed the shit out of this, actually. Like, it the crowd was hot for it. It was fun. I did not expect the two tiny guys to win. The Dudley boys opened just about every pay-per-view for about a five-year period here, but it's because they always delivered in the opening matches. Yeah, a Dudley boys opening match where, like, everything's going to be super hot and super well done is, like, the ideal way to open a show. If they could have just kept doing Dudleys versus Hardys every single opening pay-per-view match for, like, ten years, they would have. Because that's the perfect show opener. Next up, we've got an Intercontinental Championship match with Edge defending against William Regal. This is when Regal is doing the gimmick with the brass knuckles. The power of the punch. I hated this at the time, and I love this so much now. It's so amazing. How did I dislike this? This is amazing. You were a little marked there, Steve. You're getting worked. I was such a little shithead, yeah. It's just funny. Like, this is perfect because the Regal's biggest problem is, is that nothing, none of his style really clicks with the audience because they're not really used to people who wrestle yeah. that way. But giving him something like this that just works and everyone gets it gets him so much more over. Yeah. So the gimmick is he would find a different way to hide his brass knuckles every single week, like in his trunks and his knee pads and his boots and the turnbuckle, like the referees get wise to it, but they're always fighting the last war and he's come up with a new way to do it. Speaking of Spike Dudley, the best version of this ever was he hides it in the turnbuckle pad and Spike immediately runs down, grabs it out of the turnbuckle pad, punches him, pins him, runs away. Yes. Um, Edge got so mad on the last SmackDown before this, he hit Nick Patrick with a chair. Yeah, what a mark. Edge does a backstage promo where he shows off the chair that he smashed Regal with. And then it turns out Nick Patrick is our referee here, which seems like a bit of a conflict of interest, if you ask me. It sure does. Um, Okay, so we got to talk about Edge, who at this point is one of the lamest characters in wrestling history. They're trying so hard to get him over as a babyface. They've given him that Rob Zombie song. They've given him, like, all of this stuff. And he's he's playing that version of himself that when he took himself too seriously, like when he came back in 03 and he was just like, I don't, I don't like, like you. you. Yeah, he's one of those. And, like, angry babyface Edge is not cool. No one likes it. In his entire career, did Edge ever get over as a babyface? Um, geez, that wasn't not until he was like now as a legend, he is, yeah, but not in his prime. Like, he no. only ever got over as a heel in my mind. No, I really can't think of it. Like, it just there are times where he could have, like, if the brood thing had worked out better, he probably could have turned babyface then, but they didn't. And this, like, this run in 02 on SmackDown with Ray was pretty good, yeah, but he didn't have any personality or promo time then, he was just one of the SmackDown six. That was his character. I just, they were going to like strap the rockets to him and have him be like 
him and Lesnar, the two next babyface stars of the future. It didn't work out. <laughs> Thank God, because what we got eventually was much better. Yeah, that bitterness really fueled him to become a great heel. Anger is the only thing that gets people to where they need to go. Exactly. Uh, they go about 10 minutes here. It's okay. Um, they don't really gel, but then again, Regal just didn't gel with very many people in the WWF, I feel like. No, just, nobody knew how to work his style. Other than like Benoit, he, yeah. And he couldn't work the WWE style. And something about him being left-handed seemed to throw people <laughs> off. Like, yeah. just every way it could be awkward, it was awkward. He's it's a t- got a really awkward body, too. He's yeah. really tall, but he's all legs, and he's incredibly thick. It just, like... It's a testament to his personality that he was as much a fixture in WWE as he was. Because in the ring, until he, like, he had his big comeback run with like the King of the Ring and stuff, and he had finally figured it out, he just was never quite there. Uh, Regal gets the win. Um, his first pair of brass knucks gets found by Patrick at the beginning of the match. But then... They go through the match, and Regal pulls out a second pair of brass knuckles, because those are the ones that he was supposed to find. And yeah. he knocks Edge out with them and pins him to win the title. What a genius. Cole interviews Regal in the aisle after the match, and he says he's been blessed with the power of the punch. I love that. That was the best part, is that he he was insistent that he just had the greatest yes. punching power in human history. He's just got a Mike Tyson knockout punch. The power of the punch. Nobody can survive the power of the punch. <laughs> uh, then we've got a women's championship match with Trish Stratus defending against Jazz. Jacqueline is the referee here. I kind of, I think it would have been a great idea to make her a full-time referee. I think like a woman referee who can stand up to the heels would have been awesome. She would have gotten super over doing that. Can you imagine if they did the stuff with her, they did with like Earl Hebner, where she'd be like pushing Triple H and shit. She would have been the most over member of the roster. She could whoop people's asses for real. Just imagine her like body slamming somebody in the main event because they wouldn't listen to her. Like that kicks ass. Absolutely, they should have done that. I don't know why this didn't go further. I mean, she winds up getting like super over just as being like the g- woman who hangs out with the APA and is yes. tougher than them. She just never didn't get over, except when they pushed her as a generic vanilla like babyface wrestler. Uh, this only gets four minutes, but this was actually pretty good. Like, Trish was really coming into her own at this point. I'm not sure where they found Jazz, because they damn sure didn't have like a developmental network or anything she, like she that. She was an ECW. Was she? Okay. Yeah. Uh, but like, she doesn't get enough credit, because like, if Trish hadn't had her during this formulative stage, like I don't know that she ever really becomes anything. She just desperately needed somebody to work with who could work, and Jazz was that person. Yeah, Trish gets the win with the face buster in four minutes. Good quick match. Yeah, Better absolutely. than I was expecting. Yeah. Uh, then we got our street fight, Vince McMahon versus Ric Flair. Uh, this is Flair's first match in almost a year. The last time he wrestled was the last episode of Nitro. On that show, he wrestled in a T-shirt because he didn't feel comfortable showing his chest and stomach. 
Uh, you know what? I'll say this too. Like when he takes off his robe and he's just like in his shit, he looks in incredible shape. Oh yeah, I, I'm honestly like I think Flair is just very like kind of picky and sensitive about his body, but like I'm sure he looked just fine back a year ago too. But he just wasn't up to the Ric Flair standard. Right. But it was just so nice to see him like be Ric Flair here, like the yeah. whole deal, just like. It wasn't, like, half-assed. He didn't see him self-conscious about it. Like, he is his full Ric Flair, like, winding up doing his whole deal. It was, like, I definitely it was a subject of speculation, like, coming into this, like, what he would wear. I think I was kind of expecting him to wear, like, street clothes for the match since it was a street fight. I thought that was kind of the reason, like, that that was going to be his excuse to not wrestle in trunks. Right. But nope, he wears the trunks, he wears the robe, he does the whole thing. Uh, Vince on the way in had said he wanted Flair's kids at ringside to watch what he was going to do to him. And his daughter, Megan, and his son, Reed, are, in fact, at ringside here. How bummed were you that, like, Charlotte wasn't here? <laughs> Too bad. How old would she have been here? She'd have been she like, was about the same age as Reed, wasn't she? She's a little younger than Reed, but, yeah, they're not, they weren't that far apart in age. Yeah. I'm sure she was a teenager. It's weird to see Megan because she's never on TV. No. This is one of the only times we ever saw. Uh, we saw, I think she she was in that thing with with Vader where they had yes. the whole family. But yeah, but she, she was, like was always the, the one who shied away from Rosslyn. Yeah. So it's very weird to see her. Reed is doing this really weird thing. And maybe it's just because he's a moody teenager and that's what moody teenagers yeah. do. But he does not seem like he gives a shit about no. this and does not want to be here. Not selling this at all. And I don't know why David isn't there. I mean, he's like 30. He's got work. <laughs> David, David, remember Undertaker beats him up to set that match up that like David is, I think, on a developmental contract. At the oh, you're right. He was in OBW at the time. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Um, always sad to see Reed knowing what ends up happening to him. Yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah, um, it absolutely is. Vince is ridiculously, insanely jacked here. He has a way better physique than Flair. I loved this about Vince when he would work with, like, Flair and Hogan, and it would be like, well, there's no reason Vince couldn't beat them because he's way bigger and stronger than they are at this point. Like, you know he can bench a lot more than they can at this point. There would just always be this moment where, like, on the way in, you'd be like, why is old man corporate Vince McMahon gonna actually fight and think he can win and then he would like take his shirt off and he'd be like oh right because yeah. he's super shredder that's why bench 300 pounds and squat 500 his body which is obviously look it's not natural yeah sure he's not steroids <laughs> but like the man is I don't know was he he's 60 a, by this point and he's a maniacal fitness addict like no yeah. one has ever worked out like Vince McMahon works out probably late I'm thinking late 50s at this point I think he's like 78 yeah. today so this was like 20 years ago yeah but late late 50s it's insane how he looks here oh yeah think about any of these other people at a comparative age it's not even close yeah and he's done just as much coke as they have Flair gets some chops in early. Vince turns the tide with a clothesline. He works over Flair for the next 10 minutes. Um, Flair blades after Vince slams his face into the steps. Uh, Vince takes a camera from Megan and takes a picture of Flair's bloody face. That was awesome. That's a real heel move right there. Hell yeah. 
Uh, they go back to the ring. Uh, Vince puts Flair in the figure four, but Flair manages to turn it over. Vince bails out to the floor. Flair makes a comeback, beats Vince down with a bunch of punches and chops, hits him with a TV monitor, and Vince blades. Double juice. You knew it was coming. Oh, nothing. If there had been, like, gambling on wrestling at the time, I would have put a billion dollars on double juice. (laughs) Flair locks on the figure four. Vince gives up. This is okay, but, like, nowhere near the level of, like, the Hogan-Vince match from WrestleMania, for example. Yeah, on the scale of Vince matches, there have been some genuinely good ones and a lot. And I think, arguably, the worst matches of all time have all featured Vince. (laughs) I think we, as the Lawcast, commonly view him versus Brett as the singular worst match in wrestling history. He's such a bad wrestler is the thing. He can't throw a punch. He can't throw a kick. He can't even really take a bump without actually hurting himself for real because he doesn't know how to do it. So awkward and clunky and way over muscled. It's yeah. Like he has no agility, no, you know, timing. That's why that Hogan match is such a miracle, because all of that's true, but it's still awesome. Yeah, because they went I mean the like he jumped off a ladder. It's insane. The links he would go to. And Roddy Piper, like they really loaded that one up. Roddy Piper showed up for the first time in forever. Like that one was fun. It is funny because you could tell that Vince would watch Shane wrestle and like wish that he could do that. But like that, that he's too old for that. The time has passed. (sighs) Backstage, Michael Cole asks Nick Patrick if he's seen the video of Regal's win from earlier that night. Stephanie interrupts, and she takes over the interview, letting Patrick off the hook. Stephanie here, two things. One, so the whole story here is they realize when Triple H comes back, oh no. This is a conundrum. We forgot that he's shackled to the biggest heel in wrestling history. That's the problem. She could just be gone after the invasion, though, but for some reason she's still here. Yeah, they could have just taken her off TV, but they don't. No. So now we have to reckon with this. And instead of just having him come back and immediately be like, yeah, that ain't for me anymore. They had to do this whole soap opera thing where, like, he's a babyface now, but he doesn't realize that she's a heel because he doesn't get it yet. And he just kind of has to learn, despite the fact that he's been with her during all of their horrible shenanigans all these years, he just has to learn like a dumb baby face step by step that she's a bad person. She says the beating Flair just gave Vince is nothing compared to what Triple H is going to do to the other 29 wrestlers in the Rumble tonight. Uh, says, starts listing off the people he's going to beat up and at the end mentions Stone Cold Steve Austin. Then she says something about how she wishes... She could slap Deborah in the face. Austin walks up behind her as she's talking about Deborah, and he starts what in her? This starts out awesome because Austin just appears in the back, like he like walks yeah. out of a dressing room, and then he's like, "Oh, you talking about Ooh. me? Oh, you talking about Deborah?" And he like walks up behind her and sneaks up, and you think it's gonna be awesome, and then you get starkly reminded that what Whoa. is a thing? Whoa, Jesus. Steve Austin should not be allowed in the Hall of Fame for inflicting what upon us. People still do this. 
It's been 20 years. This is the catchiest thing that anyone has ever done (laughs) in human history. Yeah. Like, I don't know how this... I don't even remember how this started, but yeah, he just started saying what a lot. It was just part of his heel shtick. Yeah. Like, people... He would just be like, hey, you gonna be a good teammate for me today? And then they'd start to speak, and he'd be like, what? Well, I don't know. He'd be like, what? 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 But then people just started doing it. And then... The problem is they let it go too long, and then you literally couldn't stop them. Nothing on earth could stop them. To the point where everybody had to do their promos in such a cadence where they would pause after each sentence for everyone to yell, what? Like, I can't remember what it sounds like for Steve Austin to cut a promo that's not like, I'd have some tequila, what? I'd have a Bloody Mary, what? What? Yeah. And the only time anyone – and it, you could see it rattle people. Like, especially, like, yeah. newer guys. Like, it would literally oh, ruin God. them. Yeah. And then there'd be, like, Taker who'd be like, say what if you sleep with your sister? <laughs> what? Gosh. That's the kind of shit we don't – that's what you got to love American Badass Taker for. American Badass Taker is my favorite Taker, and it's very clear why he was amazing. Next up, we've got the undisputed title match. Chris Jericho defends against The Rock. Rock is out first to an enormous pop. Uh, Jericho's out second. He looks so cool with the two belts. There's something about his look that I wish that he had mixed it up a little bit for this main event run. Because there's something about him that still looks a little mid-cardy to me. But like got the shitty goatee, the ponytail dyed red for some reason yeah the tights which are just like generic tights i mean it's not bad it's just like i wish he had changed it up a little but the two belts like having these two belts he's like one of only two men who ever got to hold this (laughs) yeah and it's so cool and why did they merge it into one belt this looked so much cooler um, I don't know if it's for the same reason that New Japan did it, but New Japan eventually fused it into the new belt because Kota Ibushi said the belts were so fucking heavy he couldn't walk around with them. Yeah, I mean, I do actually think it's a legitimate, like, just it's annoying to me. Although guys don't have to travel. Back then they had to travel with the belts. Now I think they give them back and they take them from show to show for them. But right. guys have said it was annoying traveling with one belt, much less two. But yeah, honestly, the weight of the belts is probably an issue. And I mean, like, they don't look coherent together, so maybe, like, that's, it's a difficult brand to do, and that's all Vince really cares about. I don't know. Yeah. They go back and forth early. Jericho undoes the pad from one of the turnbuckles. He hits a missile drop kick. Um, Rock makes a comeback, but Jericho cuts him off. Jericho hits two lion salts in a row, but he can only get two. Jericho goes for the missile drop kick. Rock cuts him off with the sharpshooter, just like Brett did to Sean so many times. Ooh. Jericho's idol, Sean Michaels. But the man who actually somewhat trained him, Bret Hart. Yeah. Bruce Hart trained him. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, Lance Storm shows up to distract the referee as Jericho is tapping out. See... This is maybe something that was missing from the whole Jericho thing. If they had just given him the Un-Americans... Yeah, why didn't they give him this Team Canada stable? It just, like, if he had had Christian and Test, I honestly feel like his title reign has a lot more legs to it. 
It's a solid stable. Yeah. Storm, Christian, Test. Like, you can get heat with that. Absolutely. Uh, Christian shows up. Rock throws him out of the ring. And then he turns around and gets hit with a rock bottom by Jericho. Because this is the point where Jericho didn't have a finishing move that had any credibility. So, yeah, we've got to talk about that. God. So Pre-Code Breaker. And this is another thing that kind of doomed his run. Yeah. He could. We had already murdered the lion salt. It was meaningless. It never That's won. That was never was a, a real joke. finisher. The walls of Jericho at this point have been reversed hundreds of thousands yeah. of times. So it, that like none of the baby faces are going to tap out to it. Yeah, it's kind of credible, but it's not like the Crippler crossface. They didn't protect it. No. And he doesn't have a third thing. He tried to use. I don't remember stroke. if it was the yeah he had the stroke and I think they called it the breakdown and it just yes. didn't, it didn't get over it looked like shit. They tried to do this thing where it was like kind of like a wrap around neck breaker thing. Uh, the flashback, a sleeper yeah. slam. Yeah, that doesn't work. work. Uh, I think he tried to use like a climb up Enziguri thinking yes. it was like his version of sweet chin music. Didn't get over. He just couldn't figure it out. And like if he had had the code breaker then. Yeah. Because literally getting that move immediately gets him the world title. Like there's like it, they're like, oh, you have a credible finish. Welcome to the belt, buddy. What about the Judas effect? If I mean that would have been incredible too. Though I don't think I don't think stiff elbow like shots were something <laughs> no. anybody was doing at the time. Steve Austin's not taking that elbow with his neck. Yeah, you ready for this spinning elbow where I don't know where it's gonna hit you? Here we what? go. <laughs> So, yeah, Jericho is reduced to having to steal his opponent's finishers to beat them because now, he I, doesn't have one of his own. I do kind of love that. Like, I think all of us, like, fantasy book this, like, yes. chameleon character at some point in our lives where yeah. we're just like, yeah, man, you could have all the finishers. And that's cool. But, like, also his version of the rock bottom is weird and sucks. It's like half He's, a choke slam. It was way too short to rock bottom rock. He has to, like, jump to do it. Yeah. Uh, Jericho breaks out a people's elbow, but Rock kips up and throws him out to the floor. They fight over to the announce table. Jericho sets up for a rock bottom. Rock fights him off. Jericho ends up taking the rock bottom through the table. They go back to the ring. Rock tries to rock bottom him again. Jericho counters into the walls of Jericho, but Rock manages to get to the ropes. Uh, Rock accidentally clotheslines Earl Hebner. Jericho grabs one of the belts. He hits Rock in the face with it. Jericho signals for another ref, and Nick Patrick runs down. Nick Patrick, the most vile, detestable human being in wrestling. You know, now that Scott Armstrong's not doing that stuff anymore, I miss having just that one heel. Why can't we have more sleazy heel refs? I always love this. We're back to the point where, like, refs aren't allowed to have any personality at all, which is a shame because having that one babyface ref and that one heel ref really make matches different. Um, Patrick slides into the ring to make the count, but Rock kicks out at two. Rock then hits a DDT. He's got the match won, but Patrick refuses to count, saying he's not the actual referee. Uh... <laughs> Rock hits him. I know. Oh, no, no. Sorry. Can't do it. I'm not. I'm not the licensed referee for this match, which 
like that suddenly opens up like a wait is that how it's supposed to be done because then a lot of referees are fucking up a lot nah i think this is just nick patrick being a piece of shit yeah rock hits him with a rock bottom then he hits jericho with a spine buster in the people's elbow uh rock goes to pull jericho up jericho hits him with a low blow runs him into the exposed turnbuckle pad and then rolls him up and puts his feet on the ropes for the pin. What a masterclass in cheating. When I tell you that people lost their minds at this, like I've never seen a more negative reaction to the finish of a match to the point where like, I think even Meltzer was like, yeah, it was a five star match, but a negative five star finish. Like people lost it. This finish kicks ass. Yeah, I think this is a great finish. Think again. We just said that Jericho does not have a credible finisher. How the fuck is he supposed to beat The Rock? How? Yeah. Here's how. He cheats. He's an evil genius. But he's got to do it in every way possible. This protects The Rock. Yeah. It puts over Jericho as a genius, and it protects The Rock. That's what you're aiming to do here. Good job. You did it. And then we go to WWF New York, where Shawn Michaels is hosting the festivities tonight. Shawn Michaels wearing just an entire Texas flag, and that's all he's wearing. Yes. Uh, Shawn Michaels says that he's only rooting for people from Texas, so that's pretty on brand for him. He says he's picking Steve Austin or The Undertaker to win the Royal Rumble tonight. And little Steve was like, wait, but maybe this is pre-taped and he's actually going to come back in the Rumble. Is this another one of those years where you thought that Shawn Michaels is coming back? I mean, it turned out I was right six months from now. Oh, little Steve was so adorable. (laughs) He did come back. Yeah, not here, though. (laughs) And he didn't know it now. He didn't know that shit until like three weeks before. These WWF New York segments, I just love what a slice of the time these are. Oh, yeah. The most entertaining thing is nobody can ever hear through their earpiece, like, what the announcers are saying to them. Because they're in, like, a small room, which is deafening because the crowd behind them is screaming. (laughs) Yeah. Got a bunch of Mark fans in there screaming. This is a restaurant, guys. I want you to imagine if, like, you were like, let's go out to eat at our WWE restaurant. That'll be pretty fun. And then, like, A-Train is there, and a bunch of people are just screaming. If I lived in New York, I 10,000% would have gone to WWF New York for pay-per-views. I would have gone there all the time. I'm angry that I never got to go. I always planned on it as a kid, and then it was closed (laughs) before I could go. And then the thing closed after, like, two years. Lost an insane amount of money. Yeah, I didn't understand how business works, so I'm like, oh, this will be around (laughs) forever. I got plenty of time. Yeah. Didn't realize what a horrible idea this was and that it was never going to succeed. Jesus. And they had it, like, in the middle of Times Square. Like, the hubris of that. If they just put this thing in, like, Stanford, it would probably still be open today. Yes. It could just be anywhere but Times Square. Yeah. You could have had these places all over. The funniest thing is that, like, even ESPN Zone didn't work. Like, even that went out of business. Planet Hollywood didn't work. The Nitro Grill went under. It just. Restaurants are tough. 
this is just a thing that existed in the 90s too. Yeah. It was like themed restaurants. And then they I just loved, went I away. Loved, I thought Planet Hollywood, I mean, I was a kid, but like I thought Planet Hollywood was the coolest thing. If you were never around during that time, just think like Dave and Buster's used to be like a thing that existed on every street corner in America under a hundred different names. They're building a new Dave and Buster's out by me. Yeah. It's just that they're all Dave and Buster's now instead of being ESPN Zone and Planet Hollywood and like yeah. everything had an arcade and a weird theme. Terrible food, but you didn't care. Man, why was there never Jurassic Park themed restaurants? That sounds awesome. I mean, there was Rainforest Cafe, but that's not really what you're talking about. That's what about. I'm thinking of. I love the Rainforest Cafe. Fuck yeah, the Rainforest Cafe. We're the idea that we're going to have a restaurant, which is already very low margin and low success rate, and then we're going to add the massive overhead and we're going to have this huge rainforest set that must use, like, thousands and thousands of gallons of water a day is insane. And because of the set, because you're putting it into the same part of the mall that, like, an Applebee's would normally go in, like, you have way fewer tables because the rainforest set takes up so much yeah. space. So you have six tables in there. It's just, I don't know how, it, they're still open today, and I don't understand how. They're still open? God, I want to eat it. Well, I'll have to find out if there's one anywhere. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, I ate it one, like, three years ago, so that's me saying that, like, they're still open, but they were Nice! <laughs> uh, you can hear more about this on our supplemental restaurant podcast. <laughs> where, we talk, where we talk about 90s chain restaurants. Yeah, Law and Sush's restaurant 90s podcast. <laughs> Man, you know what I miss? Donato's. That oh, place kicked ass. Oh, God. We can't go down this road anymore. I'll never talk about anything else. Oh, man. Old school Pizza Hut. Those places were incredible. Fuck yes, they were. The revolution it was when they introduced stuffed crust pizza. I ate stuffed crust pizza like every weekend for like a year straight, and I'm convinced that it's like done bad things to my health <laughs> to this it's day. It's remarkable you didn't die. Oh, man. Uh, they show the video package for the Rumble match. Finkel goes over the rules for the match, and it is now time for the Royal Rumble match. Ah, the Royal Rumble. And before this, we start, like, this is such a collection of interesting and good people that it doesn't even feel right. <laughs> we'll make note, is there anyone bad in this entire match? We'll make note if there is. I mean, depending on how you feel about bad, there's at least three people in it who I'd say aren't good, but one of them has one of the greatest moments in wrestling history and Rumble history, so you can't really say anything about that. Number one is Rikishi. Um, still kind of over. I don't know. Hasn't been I mean, doing much. He hasn't been around for a while. I, I don't know if he was hurt during the invasion or if he just didn't. This didn't have anything for him, but I don't remember us having seen him since like early 2001 when he was a heel it does feel weird that they didn't like turn him face and make him like team wwe doesn't it like that seems like a fine yeah, he's just ba- he's just i think he's back to being a face here seems he like is he's he's doing the stink face, face and everything yeah but like he's not over the fans don't care <laughs> long past sell by here and number two is gold the bizarre one making his wwf return for the first time since 1999 i was so excited to see gold dust again i was fascinated by gold dust as a kid so i need you to understand when it comes to him and mr perfect i obviously said that mr perfect was someone that i watched as a kid so i was really excited about him 
Um, Gold Dust. The last time I saw Gold Dust before I stopped watching wrestling, he was still like molesting people. So Jerry, I was very... Jerry Lawler had just asked him if he was a queer. That's literally the last time I saw him before. Is that? And I was like, and he oh. said no and punched him in the face. Then that was his baby face turn. And I was like, oh, this guy's oh. back. Oh, all right. Because I didn't weird. know he went to WCW or any of that other shit that happened. I was just like, oh, oh, all right. Well, <laughs> a lot of stuff's happened. He got addicted to drugs. He got divorced. He went to WCW. He played a gimmick that was a pervert child molester until standards and practices shut it down. Yeah. And then he became dust, just plain old Dustin Rhodes. I think he may have used American Nightmare at that point. Would you have rather him have come back as American Nightmare Dustin Rhodes, or did you want Goldust back? I definitely wanted Goldust back at the time. By this point, I don't know that there was any. I don't think there was any mileage in Dustin Rhodes by this point. I think the gimmick had overwhelmed him. Same. I just we think better about this than I think people did at the time, and I think that's mostly just because like he goes on a run of comedy that like completely redeems his career and like buys him another ten years in the industry. Until he started to get awesome again. He got off the drugs and got into shape, and somehow yeah. he's still good today. But yeah, th- that stuff that he does is literally like buys him a second life until he can get clean. And now now here he is. He's like one of the people on the show who's still there, still wrestling. Number three is the big boss man looking pretty rough here. Ooh, he did not need to be in this, you know, like... We can just be done with Boss Man, guys. He's not hes not healthy. He doesn't live much longer. Number four is Bradshaw. Uh, boss Man gets the stink face from Rikishi, um, and then Rikishi eliminates him as a further indignity. Bradshaw is a guy who's built for the Rumble. Yeah. Like, Bradshaw is so cool in 30-second bursts, whether it's, like, his little, like, patriotic promos he does every now and then, or, like... He's just kind of there, and then he does a clothesline from hell, and you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. He does one of these to the next guy who's in, and holy shit, he kills him. Yeah, number five is Lance Storm. He gets absolutely massacred by a clothesline from hell, which is awesome. It's one of those things, like, I wasn't even looking at the screen when it happened. I had to rewind it because JR sells it so much. Like You heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Number six is Al Snow. Number seven is Billy Gunn, who gets to eliminate Bradshaw. Billy Gunn is in the middle of Billy and Chuck. Yeah, he sure is. Which, if, we're not going to touch that with the 10-foot pole right now. We've covered that in more detail in other places. But Billy and Chuck were on kind of a huge run. They so don't like, have the Billy and Chuck music yet, though. They came out to the one Billy Gunn theme. Which is a shame, because you, you look. Oh, that's a great theme. Vince loved the one Billy Gunn theme with the horns, though. You know that's the shit he, that's the shit he listens to in his car. Let's be clear. If it doesn't have saxophones in it, Vince doesn't think it's good. <laughs> Number eight is The Undertaker, and business is about to pick up. There's always a point in the rumble and it can be like the number one or number two depending but there's a point in the rumble every time we're just like oh this is when it's for reals like it was just jokey shit shit up until now but now everything from here actually matters and this is that moment he choke slams billy gun he choke slams gold dust over the top rope that hell was yeah gun what a bump to take in your comeback oh. match 
He throws out snow. He clotheslines Rikishi over the top. He tosses gun out, and he's cleared out the ring in two minutes. Another thing to note, I think these were shoot two-minute intervals. One of the few times they've ever done this. This was a long Rumble match. Yeah, and I think... ten minutes. But they had such big stars in it that I think that they knew that everyone had stuff to do, you know? They tell a ton of stories in this match. Number nine is Matt Hardy. Uh, Taker goes to choke slam him. Lita tries to cut him off, so Taker just goozles her. God, Taker's a scumbag. Yeah, on the way into this, Taker's been beating the shit out of the Hardys because that's how they got heat on people back then is they just have them beat the shit out of the Hardys with chairs. And Lita. It was a rough life for the Hardys and Lita. It sure was. Lita kicks Taker in the junk, and Matt hits him with a swinging neck breaker. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Lita and Matt proceed to stomp Taker, and then number 10 is Jeff Hardy, so it's three on one. Um, I Rick. believe one of the times the Hardys were having problems, but it feels like they dropped this by now. I think they reconciled over the holidays. Well, yeah, because the problems had started at Survivor Series, and they had, like, one match, I think. I want to say at the December pay-per-view or something like that. Yeah, these guys famously suck at wrestling each other. Yeah, they have one match, which is awful. And then they just like, nope, you guys are back together. They hit Taker with a twist of fate and a swanton bomb. They set up for poetry in motion, but Taker catches Jeff and then just tosses him over the top rope. Why do they they keep trying to do poetry in motion in the Rumble? Stop doing that. Then he hits Matt with the last ride and throws him out, too. Taker's back to being alone in the ring. This version of Taker, which is him as the American badass, but, like, at his peak of health, so, like, he's, like really like energetic and good to go doesn't last forever but he is unbelievable during this time he was such a good heel with this character and unfortunately yeah they turned him baby face in about six months and he's not the same as a baby face respect taker was one of the best characters i think of all time i will i will hold right up that respect taker is probably one of my five favorite characters of all time it made like, stars when he would yeah. show somebody respect. Jeff Hardy, John Cena, guys got over when he would show them respect. Because the idea of him just being like so worked up that anyone, anywhere could piss him off and result in a match. And then he'd like half put him over and then give him a handshake and that would make them a star. Yeah. They could have put he the belt so, on Jeff Hardy that year. He did such good stuff with Tommy Dreamer, Al Snow, a bunch of random people. Was this run the Van Dam stuff, or was that run the Van Dam stuff? Uh, he just beat Van Dam for the hardcore title at Vengeance. Which is one of my favorite matches of all time. That's so cool. And it eliminated the 24-7 rule because everybody was too afraid of Taker. I love that they made that canon on TV where he was just like, they no 24-7 rule because no one wants to step. And he just walked into, into the locker room and was like, anybody want some? And they were all like, nope. Uh, no, nope. Sorry, Mr. Undertaker. But him putting – so nobody wanted to work with Van Damme because he had this reputation for being a stiff shithead. Taker yeah. working with him and having a great time and being like, this kid rules is yeah. what puts Van Damme over to Vince. So Taker's alone in the ring. Who can challenge the demon of Death Valley? Who dares step forth against Booger Red? 
It's Maven. I love the look on his face. He's like, oh shit, as he's walking to the ring. Maven is literally just wearing a pair of sweatpants, sweatpants with him and blows and on them. <laughs> he is just, I mean, didn't he just win Tough Enough? Yeah, because when Al Snow came out, they literally said, like, oh, he's the trainer of Tough Enough. They're getting ready for season two. Like, they're literally not six months out from Tough Enough ending. Like, so this, Maven is fucked. But Matt and Jeff jump back in the ring and attack Taker. Taker fights them both off and throws them out. But that distraction gives Maven time to sneak up on him, drop kick him in the back, and knock him over the top rope to the floor for the single most stunning elimination in Royal Rumble history. If people were gambling on the Rumble in those days, this would be what you'd call the kind of thing that would cause people to like lose their life, their life's worth in a match. Like, this is maybe the biggest upset in wrestling history. Did you hear about the guy who bet a million dollars on um, the Chargers to win at halftime when they were up twenty-seven nothing on the Jaguars? No, are you? First of all, why would you do that? They're up twenty-seven nothing. I don't think you're gonna get a lot of money out of that spread. No, it was like it was like a million dollars to win like six thousand or something like that the dumbest uh, motherfucker if you're not, alive if you're, not if you're listening to not an american football fan the jags came back and won that game and he lost his million dollars what a dumb motherfucker yes <laughs> don't gamble on stuff it's stupid no sports gambling is idiotic it's not I fun put a, i put a hundred dollars down on the vikings to win the super bowl and when i got what i knew i was going to get i didn't feel bad about it you got what you deserved. Yes, I did. I would have made like twenty five grand if I had won. They both sell this so well. Just the like shock and disgust on Taker's face, the shock on Maven's face, and he's like, "Oh shit, what did I just do?" Yeah, he's like jumping up and down. Taker lands on his feet, so like yeah. he doesn't even sell it. He's just like, "What?" And Maven's yeah. like jumping up and down, and then he looks at Taker and he's like, "Oh, hmm." Like, he's so, Taker's so embarrassed, he, like, won't look at anybody in the crowd. He just kind of turns back towards Maven. He proceeds. <laughs> this is so good. On the list of ass kickings ever delivered on television, <laughs> this is right up there. Just pummels Maven for the next ten minutes. He drags him through the crowd into the concession area, throws him through a popcorn machine, then grabs popcorn yes. and eats it off of his back. Grabs a big handful of popcorn and eats it. There's like fans like literally like inches to either side and they're like touching Maven and stuff, but nobody touches Taker because he's no. terrifying. Don't respect, don't disrespect him. You couldn't pay me to try to touch Taker at that point. Fuck that. Scotty Too Hotty is number 12 and he's all alone in the ring. Missed opportunity to have him dance. This is a year after Scotty Too Hotty came out when it was Kane and The Undertaker yes. at the same time. He must have felt so relieved, like, oh, God, I missed The Undertaker. Holy shit, I takes, ducked it. Takes his time getting to the ring to make sure Taker's out of there. Oh, he's safe. I did it. Number 13, Christian! Christian! At oh. last! You're wrong. That's a good entrance. That's really all he does here. 
He looks disgusting. He had no place being on television at this point. Look, as funny as I think it is that you and Vince McMahon think that more than anyone else in existence, it's true. He looks horrible. Oh, my God. His gross, long, greasy, wet hair. And, like, he he fought cutting that hair so much, and the moment he did, he became a superstar. Yeah, it's like in a movie where the ugly girl takes her glasses off and suddenly she's hot. Like, Christian cut his hair and suddenly he was hot. It didn't even make sense. He had the same ugly face from before, but it just works now. Oh, he's so hot. stupid, sexy Christian. Stupid, sexy Christian. Oh. <sighs> Uh, number 14, Diamond Dallas Page in his only Royal Rumble appearance. I always forget he was here for this. It was nice to have him here. Like, he's going to feud with Christian at WrestleMania. That's perfectly fine. Yeah, he fucks up his back and he's pretty much done. He hits the diamond cutter here. That's nice. Yeah. Scotty busts out the worm on Christian, but then DDP tosses him, which is kind of a heel move. What a dick. I mean, he's Page. Whatever. Fifteen is Chuck Palumbo. Number sixteen is the Godfather to a huge pop. He comes out with like two girls. He goes back, gets more, goes back again, gets even more. This is how you know that these are shoot two minutes because like it takes forever for this, and then he finally gets all the way down to the ring, gets in the ring, immediately gets eliminated, dances with the girls. <laughs> they did this another time where his music never even stopped playing. Yeah, I want to say that that was, God, was that 2012, 2011? Because I feel like I just watched it for, like, our season on Summer of Punk. No, because we didn't do a rumble. No, I know. I'm just watching the ones that are around it. Anyway, like, it was sometime around then. But, yeah, it was basically the exact same setup. Uh, DDP gets eliminated off screen during this entrance because it takes so long. DDP went back to his home planet. We never saw him again. Number 17 is Albert, the hip-hop hippo. God. Six months before this, they were pushing him. He beat Kane for the Intercontinental title. Every once in a while, they just push him. There were people backstage who Heyman thought that was Albert... A, Heyman, Heyman was a big Albert fan. Fit Finley was a big Albert fan. Yeah. That's why they pushed him on SmackDown for a little I while. drew a ton of money in Japan. He did. I mean, he wasn't like a maybe not guy. Money, but like he got over in Japan. Of course he did, because big dudes do. And he was yeah. very talented. Like, let's be clear, he could work. It's just that in this era, he's just not that interesting. Yeah. If he had come along now, he'd be a star. Oh, he'd be so much bigger than everybody. Yeah. He's not. Uh, there's nothing functionally different between Albert and Braun Strowman, except that Albert's apparently not a weirdo. Yeah. Uh, Albert gets thrown out by Christian and Palumbo. Then they throw out Godfather. Speaking of people I didn't remember were still here, Saturn is number 18. Even though it's only been two years since his start in this company. Actually, like, less. Like, it's been, like, not that long a time at all. It's 2000. Yeah, he debuted in 2000. I guess he was doing Moppy in 01. But, like, yeah, here he is, and he's generic now. He doesn't have Moppy. He doesn't have the Radicals. He's just Perry Saturn. Feels wildly out of place. Um, you know what had happened right around that time? What's Do you that? remember the uh, the dark match? Yeah, the job match against, like, the one guy where he beats the shit out of him? Yeah, I think the guy stopped cooperating. Yes. Like, he was so, in like, his hometown, started... and he said he didn't want I mean, I think the guy... The, 
I don't think he I think he was dealing with some mental health issues, but he was like in his hometown and decided he couldn't lose in front of all his family and friends. So he literally stopped selling for Saturn. So Saturn whooped his ass. Yeah, not a good choice against the former Army Ranger. Yeah. Um, like Saturn got him in the rings of Saturn and the guy wouldn't quit. So like lucky he didn't get his arms broken. I had to say, the like, rings of Saturn hurts. I don't know if you've ever been putting that one. There are some moves that you could just be like, oh, well, I'm in the walls of Jericho, but I don't have to sell this. Whatever. Nothing's going to happen. If Perry Saturn wants to rip your arm out of its socket, it's right there for him to do that. (laughs) Number 19, as things are getting boring, is Stone Cold Steve Austin. Perfect time, man. Oh, my God. I feel like there's something about somebody good coming in at number 19 that fuels most of the good rumbles. It's just perfect timing, because then, like, yeah. the whole last stretch, like, you're setting up for it, right? If I can make a prediction, I bet Cody comes in number 19 on Saturday. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and just right now lock in our Rumble predictions. Is yours Cody? Cody. Mine is also Cody. <laughs> women? I don't even know. I don't even know where the women Charlotte? It's got to be Rhea. It's got to be Rhea versus Bianca at WrestleMania. I don't yeah. even know what the fuck else we would do. Though Rhea wants to be in the men's rumble, and they should let her. They should. She should she win the Charlotte, women's. But I think she has, she has one of the belts, doesn't she? I believe so, yes. Uh, Austin throws out Christian, stuns Saturn, throws out Palumbo, throws out Saturn. He's cleared out the ring. This is the Steve Austin special. He's done this a couple of times in his rumbles, and he does this, like, he did the same thing in, like, 98. 97. 97. 97 in the uh, 97 in uh, the Alamo Dome. Yeah, where he does some push-ups, checks his watch, sits up on the turnbuckle. And in that case, it was all just to build to, like, Bret Hart coming out. And they do the exact same thing here, and I love that. But with somebody else. Number 20 is Val Venus making his return. Gets to mix it up with Austin, and Austin sells for him. That's the thing. That's why Austin is the perfect guy to do this, because in 30 seconds, he can make anybody look credible, even though he's still going to eliminate him. He's so good at bumping and feeding. He makes Valvinus look great, but then he catches Valvinus and eliminates him. (laughs) Number 21 is Test. He's got immunity from being fired after winning a Battle Royal at Survivor Series, and he's using those powers to become a sex past. This is one of the most baffling things that's ever happened in wrestling. Is they like yeah. literally the like it's like the writers put on a whiteboard like test, not allowed to be fired. Okay, that's his whole character. So what do we do with that? Well, if you were not allowed to be fired, what would you do? Well, I would probably sexually harass everyone. All right, that's what he's gonna do. Uh, sadly realistic for pro wrestling. Jesus Christ. Oh, that yeah, I almost forgot. Be, he could be beating up Vince. Like, he could do anything he wants to, and this is what they have him do. I didn't even mention this, but, like, back in the promo package for the Ric Flair-Vince match, Vince starts saying, like, five times in the video, I get turned on by causing misery. And, like, boy, that's a shoot, huh? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That was a real bummer to hear him say with his whole mouth. Uh, Austin throws out Venus. He stuns Test. He throws him out. He's cleared the ring again, leaving him alone with number 22. It's time to play the game. It's Triple H. This is one of my favorite moments in Rumble history. Because this is really the first time that Triple H and Stone Cold see each other eye to eye. Like, 
And like as Triple H is walking down, they're just their eyes are locked on each other and they never look away. Like the whole entrance, he does the whole spit. He slowly gets in the ring because the tension just builds and builds. Yeah. They go at it. And then number 23, stand back. There's a hurricane coming through. And here's another one of my favorite moments ever. Delightful. Hurricane. Yeah. Runs into the ring, right, as, like, Austin and Triple H have done a double clothesline. And King's like, does Hurricane think he, like, knocked them down with the wind or something? And, like, they as they get up, Hurricane goozles both of them yes. for a choke slam, And they both just look at each other, like, and even Austin <laughs> even, like, points at him, like, what the fuck is this? Do- what is this idiot doing? And they just eliminate him together and then immediately go back to beating each yeah, other's they asses. pause for that one second and then turn around and start punching each other. But this begins one of my favorite through lines I've ever seen in a Rumble, which is basically Austin and Triple H have a 15-minute match just interspersed with random dudes whose asses they kick. Yeah. I wish that had gone on, like, the entirety of this match. Number 24 is Farouk. He only lasts about 30 seconds before Triple H clotheslines him out. Yep. Um, who could possibly last a two-minute interval with these two? What about the perfect man for the job? Number 25 is Mr. Perfect. I loved him coming out. I remember as a kid, like, freaking out because, like, I was so excited to see Mr. Perfect again. And he looked great. I love how he comes out with the straps down to show off what good shape he's in. He's in incredible shape. He throws the towel behind his back. He's like super hyped. You can tell he's happy. Like he's like, I'm I'm back. I'm in shape. We're going to do it. I thought he was going to get eliminated right away. He does not. No. Like he gets a run here. He's in the final four. He lasts 15 minutes. I They make him look like a star here. I thought he was going to get a big push after this. Also, the best part of this is that there's a moment where Austin and Triple H are both trying to eliminate him, which is a horrible, stressful situation. And right in the middle of it, while his legs are off the ground, he spits his gum straight up into the air and swats it into the crowd perfectly. It's like, oh, my God, you're so incredible. You're the greatest ever. Uh, Number 26 is Kurt Angle. Um, We load things up down the stretch here. 27 is Big Show. 28 is Kane. Um, Kane gets to slam Big Show over the top rope to eliminate him. So don't think Cesaro was the one who invented that. But then he turns around. He gets stunned. He gets Olympic slammed um, by Angle over the top rope out to the floor. Kane is gone after only two minutes. This feels anticlimactic after the year before. Yeah. But I feel like you have to do this if you're not planning on pushing him mega hard. Because yeah. Like, the year before you established that he could easily win this, and you're not trying to put the attention on him. Not this time. But he gets his awesome moment of just bench-pressing the big show out. Number 29 is RVD. Big pop for Van Dam. So, uh, of all the people who were mad about the the Jericho Rock situation, I also vividly remember them being absolutely furious about this. So Van Dam comes out. Like, he, like, beats the shit out of everybody, does the rolling thunder on Austin, and then immediately eats a pedigree and just yep. lays flat in the center of the ring until the until he gets eliminated. Yeah, Booker T comes out number 30. He gets to throw out Van Dam, but then he gets stunned and tossed by Austin, and Booker's gone after 30 seconds. 
And like the message boards were lighting yes. up with like fucking Triple H buries Van Dam. What is this? This is some bullshit. Again, uh, this is just what people believed at the time. What did, but people, their whole what did hearts... people want? Did they really think RVD was going to win the Royal Rumble here? And why would he? In like 30 seconds, he got to like beat the shit out of everybody. I think like RVD that's... versus Jericho is going to headline WrestleMania. Come on, Come on, Marks. I mean, in our uh, in our hearts, yes. But yes. in real life, no. All right, we're down to four. We've got Austin, Triple H, Kurt Angle, and Mr. Perfect. I love that Perfect is in there. It just felt so weird. And then, like, Perfect is the third, is, like, third to last. Like, that's crazy. Austin tries to dump Perfect. Angle's, Angle sneaks up behind and dumps Austin. So, yeah, Perfect outlasted Austin. I do really feel like this should have come down to Austin and Triple H because the second Austin's out of it, it's abundantly obvious that, that Triple H is winning this match. Because like, imagine if they just have a continue; they could just have a 15-minute match at the end of this. Yeah. Because like the fans were on fire for everything they did together. I feel like they, the way that they were so protective of Austin that if he's not going to win, I think they felt like they needed to set it up in a way where he could get his heat back, which he does here when he comes back in with a chair and hits Angle and Perfect with it. I mean, I do get that, but like at the end of the day, like yeah. you can protect him all you want, but at WrestleMania, he's wrestling Scott Hall. You don't have anything yeah, for they him. They don't have big plans for him. So just put over Triple H, goddammit. Triple H eliminates Perfect. We're down to just Triple H and Kurt. Uh, Kurt hits a nice belly-to-belly suplex. He almost gets Triple H out. He celebrates thinking he's won, but Triple H comes back into the ring, hits a face buster, and then clotheslines Kurt out to win. That was a hell of a rumble. I think the one one thing you can kind of knock it for is this wasn't an this wasn't a terribly memorable like end in but i can't really i mean if they had gone with a really epic triple h austin showdown that would have been a huge way to end this let's just be clear because there's only two people who even possibly could have won this match and they were triple h and steve austin like steve austin is going to main event no way out against jericho so like obviously you can 100 percent understand that you could either one of these guys could be the baby face who beats jericho like it doesn't matter it's true it's triple h's rumble he's coming back from injury just like austin did the year before it's his story and just like brock lesnar's going to win the next one there were a lot of years in a row where it was blatantly obvious who was going to win the royal rumble and that's okay um I do feel like if you do that same stuff with Austin and Triple H, but they clear out the ring finally and it's just those two and then they go face to face, like maybe that's hotter. But again, as you said, they're just going to protect Austin. They don't want face versus face and they don't want him to look bad. So I guess this is the best you can do. I maybe would have put like Taker in the Kurt Angle role instead. Something like that. I don't know. Um... Yeah, end of the show. I mean, Triple H gets to celebrate, and we're wrapped. Um, that was really good. I really enjoyed this show. Yeah, for a show that like we've just kind of been avoid, like we haven't been avoiding yeah. it. It's just we just we've kind done of never a done million it. rumbles and never this one. Every single January comes around, and we're like, all right, let's name four rumbles. Four rumbles we want to do. This one never came up ever. Nope. So like. I know some people, I, I, I see you, Michael, out there, the biggest Mr. Perfect fan in the whole world, and one of our biggest fans, too. We finally talked about Mr. Perfect, and we finally talked about this Rumble, and I hope you're happy. 
I'm glad we did this one as like a one-off because we're definitely never covering this as part of a season. That's not yeah. going to happen. What, the run-up to WrestleMania 18? <laughs> a, no. se- a season of discontent. Yeah. Jesus, what a, a bummer season. A season of suck. Yeah. yeah, just from the end of the invasion to WrestleMania, like a season of unpleasantness. Oh, man. Um, but, yeah, after a couple one-shots, we are ready to start our next season I'm pretty excited about this. We are going to be covering um, Kurt Angle's first year in TNA. It's a total nonstop angle, starting with uh, Genesis 2006, where Kurt takes on Samoa Joe in his first TNA pay-per-view match. What was billed as the dream match of the decade, and it delivered. I got to tell you guys, like I did not hold Steve at gunpoint to force him to do this, and I just want to make sure that you know that he's safe and that that didn't happen. But this is the peak of my wrestling fandom. Like, this is the moment. Like, I can't even explain how big a fan I was of TNA, how strongly I believed in it, and how this was the moment that it really felt like it was all paying off and it was all going to be real. That it could really compete with WWE, that it could hit the big time, that everything was finally going to go right with the world. That shit does not happen. No. No, remarkably, they signed one of the biggest stars in pro wrestling. And uh, not only does their business not go up, I think by some measures it actually goes down. Absolutely. Uh, This is one of the most disappointing years for any company in wrestling wrestling history. Um, This is a study in how to piss away the push of a big star. And by that, I don't mean Angle. I mean Samoa Joe. Um, By the time we come back around to Bound for Glory the next year... All the momentum is gone, and we're going to tell the story of how they fucked it up and maybe what they could have done differently and maybe something that very few people know that could have absolutely changed the tide. They should have been primed to compete with WWE here. If you think about where they are and the roster they have once they add Angle and they've now got primetime TV on Spike TV, they should be ready. WWE's at a weak point. They have the horses to go with WWE, and instead they go straight to hell. Yep, they had a better opportunity in terms of the industry to compete with WWE than AEW does a now. Much strong. I mean, I think a stronger roster than AEW's had. And WWE was a thing that could be beaten. It wasn't a giant titan megalith with billions of dollars behind it. But <laughs> nope. Anyway, yeah, Genesis 2006, total nonstop angle, next time on the Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.